Good morning, and Happy New Year. So, well, I'm excited. Actually, this morning we're starting a new series called True North. I want to get to that in a minute, but I didn't say this in the first service, but since Dennis just talked about our new pastor, I just want to say that we need to be praying for Matt and Sarah. Right now, they're in the process of saying goodbye to the church they've been at for 18 years. So, you know, you know how hard it was for us to say goodbye to Pastor Ed? Well, they're now saying goodbye, and Matt and Sarah are saying goodbye, and so we just really need to pray that God blesses their month of goodbyes and, and just allow it to be a real wonderful time where they're able to, to give their church to God, the church able to give them to God into the next thing they have, and that God would bless both the current church they're in as they move into the future, but also Matt and Sarah and Caleb as they come to us. So I'm just going to lead us in prayer right now uh, for that, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have called Matt to be the next lead pastor here at Crossroads. And we just ask that you'd prepare him in every way, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to be ready for all that you have in store for him here at Crossroads. And Lord, bless Sarah and Caleb as well, uh, their family. Bless them as they say goodbye to the church they've known and loved and they've grown up in for 18 years in ministry. And Lord, bless that church as they say goodbye to him. We pray that your, your blessings upon that church as they welcome new leadership and as they continue to, uh, to follow the vision and mission you've given them. And we thank you for Crossroads and we look forward to what you have in store for us in this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, that doesn't count against my time, does it? No, just... All right, so back to True North. You saw the bumper. True North. Um, you know, thinking about last week, we were talking about, you know, beginning of the new year. We all have ideas what we'd like the year to look like and maybe changes we need to make in our own life and ways we need to grow and... Um, and in the first service, we actually dedicated two children uh, here at Crossroads, uh, Avery Vandersher um, and Callan uh, Chaim, and uh, just their parents are now raising these children in a pretty wild world we live in. And the question is, how do you know what direction to move in life? How do you know what voices to listen to? And so True North is about having the right orientation for navigating life, because to navigate if you're navigating in the world, like literally navigating um, uh, geographically, you have to have a fixed point of reference. It's why um, you have a compass, to have a fixed point of reference. Uh, and, and in the same way to navigate life in general, the relationships, the work, etc., the, the individual growth, we've got to have a point of reference. And so I'm calling that true north. And, and, and the problem with a compass, unfortunately, is a compass doesn't point north. Did you know that? A compass points to magnetic north, and magnetic north is different than true north. True north never changes. Magnetic north changes all the time. In fact, I've got a few pictures for you. I love maps and stuff, so sorry. Uh, so this first picture is actually, see the red and the dots? That's the movement of magnetic north over the last one and a half thousand years. In other words, it's all over the place. Okay, And then actually, just in the last 75 years, this next slide shows us in the last 75 years, this is the movement. 
And you'll notice that on the left-hand side, those dots are about, you know, 10 to 15 years apart. And then you'll notice it starts accelerating. Actually, the, the magnetic north pole is moving by 35 or more miles per year at this point. And by the way, I just want to say, it's not our fault, you know. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, a lot of things going on in the earth, they say, well, it's human's fault. Magnetic north, we have nothing to do with it. It's all about the, 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 mag, the uh, molten iron in the middle, the center of the earth. We, de- we can't affect that. So this is, just, this is just what happens. Now, you might say, who cares about magnetic north? Well, I grew up in Alaska. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And this next slide shows you why I care. Because I loved hiking, adventuring. I love maps. I love compasses. And you'll see, those are three points. When I was born, in my 20s, and then today. Now, if I had a compass, that's where my compass would be pointing. That's more than 30 degrees different in my lifetime. To give you an idea of of how useful your compass is at that point... If you're going off of an old map and you walk, you might 10 miles, you're going to be four miles from where you wanted to be, which means you're lost, right? So, and, and just finally, my last picture is just, this is a, a topographical map from the United States Geological Survey of Anchorage, Alaska, the mountains behind Anchorage, Alaska. And over in the bottom left there, you'll see it says north, and then there's an arrow to the right, it says 26 degrees, and that's magnetic north. That was in 1979. In 2023, it would actually say, it's actually not 26 degrees to the right. It's actually like four degrees to the left now. If you're using this map, you're lost. Right? Magnetic north is not much help to you unless you know what it is it, what is it today based on where on earth I'm living. Now, the reason I talk about all this is because if we want to navigate life, we want something, we, we need a fixed point that we can orient our lives off of. The culture, what the culture believes is true and wise and good, is constantly changing like Magnetic North. All you need to do is read from different writers throughout the centuries, and stuff changes all the time about how we think about the world, about who we are, about what's good, etc. Culture is Magnetic North. And just like Magnetic North is, is, is accelerating its difference, in our culture today, more and more things are changing. It's, it's impossible to keep up. If you're trying to orient your life off of culture, you're lost, basically. So we're going to talk about true north. Where do we find true north? And where we find that, you can probably guess you're in a church. It's God, right? God gives us true north. God is the one who has given us. Here are the unchanging truths that you need to to hang on to in a changing world so that you can navigate it successfully. And so that's what we're doing today. We're, we want to look, take a look at true north. What are the, the fundamental principles that we can count on year in and year out to navigate this life? And, uh, and so how do we find true north? Well, we're going to be taking a look over the next uh, six or so weeks we're going we're to focus on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the first part of Scripture, when God creates everything, sets everything in motion, um, and, and use that as our foundation. And so, our first topic in this series of True North is about God. It's about God, because God is, is the one from whom everything else flows. Next week, we'll talk about what does it mean to be human. 
But you can only understand what it means to be human if you first understand who God is, the God who created us, right? So we're starting with fundamentals, and that is God. Um, and so I've entitled our, our, our message today, Is God? Is God? It's a question, and I have three answers for you. The first answer is, God is. Now, I, I know that seems pretty simple, but it's really important, right, that God is, because there are a lot of different ideas out there about does God really exist? Is he really around? Or are we just on our own in this world and in this universe? And, and the first truth we've got to grapple with is that God is. He is real. God exists, right? And it's actually from that core truth that everything else in life is derived, in life is derived and from which it's oriented, Right? Our meaning, our purpose in life, our values, our morality, our relationships, what, what, what love actually means, all that gets its true definition and orientation in who God is. So this is important stuff, focusing not on ourselves first, but, but on God. And so where, where should we begin? Well, we're going to begin at the beginning. Genesis 1, 1, the very first verse in the whole Bible, and it starts off, the first four words are, in the beginning, God. And that's a really good place to start. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of what? Well, the beginning of anything that we can uh, experience or think about or theorize or hope for, anything in human experience, including anything that, that science tells us in the past, in the beginning, in the Big Bang, at whenever things started, however they started, God was there. God was there. But also being more personal, at the start of your life. God was also there. In the beginning, God is there. Psalm 90, verse 2, that's, it's one of the, the psalms, are the, actually the worship songs of ancient Israel, and it gets a little more poetic. It says it this way. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before you created anything, before anything came into being, before you spun out the worlds by your word, you were from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, before anything that we have ever experienced came into being, God was. And after all of this is gone, God will continue. He's before it, he's after it. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's above and beyond everything we've ever experienced. Not only that, but everything that we know depends upon God and His power and His creation. We are dependent beings, right? God is the only being in all of existence that doesn't depend on anything or anyone else. But we are very different. We're dependent on all sorts of people and things. I mean, I, I drove here in, in my car today. I think I've got about another 150 miles on it before I run out of gas. Well, for my car to continue working, I've got to go to the gas station, which means I'm depending upon the person selling the gas. I'm depending on the person who, who drove the truck to bring it, the folks who were drilling the wells and the people who were refining it, everything. I'm, I mean, I'm dependent on thousands of people to drive my car. And that's just in one really small part of life, and I may need to take it to the, the mechanics. I'm, I'm dependent upon the mechanic to keep it running. 
Think about every different part of your life, how many people you are dependent upon, how many things we're dependent upon. And the truth is, in addition to the things of the earth that we're dependent upon, the God who created and sustains the world, we depend upon Him every single day for who He is and how He keeps the world going. Every breath I take, I take independence upon Him, whether I realize it or not. And a lot of times, even when we know God, we, we sort of forget that we depend upon Him. In fact, the human temptation is to elevate ourselves. Even though we are so dependent on so much, we still elevate ourselves and think we are the pinnacles. You know, we're the standard of everything that happens in the world. But you know, we can't control much. All you need is a good storm to come through and you realize, I'm powerless. A nice little earthquake and you realize, I can't do anything about that. Right? And that's not even God. That's just nature around us. But we have this elevated sense of who we are. But God is the one being whose being doesn't depend on anything or anyone else. In fact, this is how God put it. When, when Moses was called by God to take, uh, to go to, back to Egypt and, and free God's people from Egypt and their slavery, Moses was a little hesitant, or a lot hesitant, and one of his questions was, well, if they ask me what God sent you, what's his name, what am I going to tell them? So here's God's answer in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this name that God gives us, I am who I am, is, is, is the way of, of him saying, I am purely who I am. None of us can say that. We can say, well, I am who I was molded to be by this, that, and the other influence. In fact, I'm becoming something different tomorrow because of stuff. But, but God is the one non-dependent or non-contingent being. His being is not contingent on anyone, anything else. In fact, in a sense, that's the definition of God. Not dependent upon anything or anyone else for his being. The way that we are so dependent. And so as we try to grasp God, um, I want to read for us, actually, words written for hundred years ago. See, in today's world, we are so casual with God. And the way we talk about Him, the way we think about Him, it's like He's, you know, best friend, grandpa, whatever. Um, or for some people, He's like this bad cop that's trying to, you know, pull you over. But, um, but we, we think very casually about God. 400 and some odd years ago, the, the, these devout people got together to try to say, how do we actually sort of define God to the best of our ability? And this comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster in England. Um, you know, Westminster Cathedral where, you know, the coronation is. Well, that's where they got together. And, uh, it, 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 and this, I'm going to read a bit. So, and I, you're not going to grasp everything I say because there's a lot here. But just let the words flow over you and give you a sense of how amazing God is. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, 
working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that who diligently seek him, and with all most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient. Not standing in need of any creatures which he's made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the lone foundation of all being and have, has most sovereign dominion over them to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleases. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon any creature. So as nothing in him is contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his work, in all his commands. To him is due from angels and from people and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. That's it. Now, now think about that. We don't talk like that, do we? We, we don't, but yet the words, even though they're written in English as 400 years ago, you get the meaning. This is who God really is. We are so casual with the existence of God and who He is that we lose the truth of who He is. He's not just another person who's just a little more powerful. He is the God who created everything and who is absolutely perfect. And that leads us to our second point today, our second answer to the question of, is God? And that is, and that answer is, God is great. God is great. Although I hate that word, great. We say that about everything. You know, how was dinner? Great. How was the movie? Great. You know, how was your weekend? Great. You know, how's God? Great. You know, just like dinner. I, you know, it's like... <laughs> um, <laughs> so we need more words, better words than great to describe him, right? So, I mean, we could go with awesome, excellent, awe-inspiring, magnificent, wonderful, glorious, marvelous, brilliant, magnificent, absolutely unique. So many ways we could describe God if we really know him and know who he is. In fact, the truth is, human language cannot describe God. It just, it fails. But we do our best anyway. And the truth is, we only know God by what we see of him, right? How he's worked in the world and, and how he's revealed himself to us in, in, in Jesus Christ and in Scripture. We didn't know him before the beginning. We just see him as he's interacted with us here. And so... I want to start again in creation. And so Genesis 1, 1, we saw the first four, four words. We're going to continue now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's how Scripture begins. It's how it begins describing God, the God who created. What did he create? Everything. The earth, 
and the heavens, the heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. In the beginning, it was just God, but he created us by his desire, by his power. And how did he create? It's, it's interesting. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. And God, he created the world, and he gave the world form and structure, and then he gave it its fullness. A part of the, the form and structure God gave to the universe was the objects of the universe, the galaxies, the sun, the earth, the planets that move around. He, he gave the structure every mathematical equation that physicists or, or chemists use was created by God. Physicists only discover what God has already done, right? So he gave this, he gave it order. He gave it form. And then he filled it with so many good things. He created the form of gravity and then he, he put stars and galaxies and planets and moons traveling around, around the earth. Um, and as a part of filling up this universe he'd created and given, given an initial structure to. And, and he made this, this earth and then he filled the earth with so many amazing things. Plants and animals and life and beauty, all of it. He gave it structure and God gave it fullness. And the first thing we see him speaking into being is light. God said, let there be light and there was light. And that light wasn't just physical light, but the light of his glory and his goodness as well that he gave to the world. Well, it goes on. I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole uh, Genesis chapter 1, but I want to highlight a couple things. Second thing I want to highlight is Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. Talk about light. Let there be light. It says, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. Okay, awesome. Now, Interesting how he says it. He made the greater light to rule the day, the lesser night to rule the night, and we would probably call those the sun and the moon, right? So why didn't God just say the sun and the moon? But here's the thing. The word sun back then was actually the name of a god in cultures around them. The word for moon, the name for moon, was the name of a god. So rather than saying Helios, we say that's Greek, it's going to be Hebrew, but let's go with it, um, that was the name of a God that people worshipped. And so part of Genesis 1 is saying there is nothing in all creation that you should worship. Nothing. So he didn't even want to give the sun and the moon their names because that would be almost saying, well, you know, the big God made the small gods. So he just said the greater light and the lesser light because there is only one God. And he created everything. And we as people, we are tempted to worship things that were created. People throughout history have worshipped all sorts of... They've worshipped the sun. They've worshipped the moon. They've worshipped um, creatures, etc. In today's world, a lot of people worship the earth. Or they worship people. But no created thing is ever meant to be worshipped. It's simply a part of the creation that God gave so that we, you and I, would have this place to live on this ball called earth. There's only one being that we should worship. It's the God who created everything else. And then it goes on, it talks more about the fullness of how God created the earth. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20 and 24, it 
talks about how he fills the earth with living things. God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And so God filled the structure of the earth and said, in the sky, I want birds. In the water, I want fish. And crabs, and I love crabs. I love to eat them. Thank you, God. Um, especially king crabs from Alaska. Like, they're the best. But um, don't get that very often. I digress. But anyway, so God filled the earth with all sorts of good things, right? And then on the earth, he put plants and he put animals. And this amazing diversity of fullness. I mean, God really filled the earth. In fact, God is, I, I love God's creativity. Did you know that there are over 300,000 species of beetles? It's like, what, God? It, it, it's like, it just shows God's creative, his extravagance, creativity, and love for diversity, and even playfulness, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, I think we need one more beetle, I don't think I have one that's like green, purple, and yellow, and red, and uh, we need a, a, like a, uh, a diamond design. You know, it's like, it's like they, they had a committee, and it's like, this is everybody's idea. Let's brainstorm and make everything. So, but he loves diversity. He filled the earth with so many things, including people, and none of us is the same. God filled the earth with so many wonderful things. And not only did he create them, but he created them to also to propagate, to procreate, to, to reproduce themselves, which is a miracle in and of itself, honestly. I, I, I studied biology at Stanford. I was an evolutionary biologist. Yay. And, um, and uh, I, tell you, I love science. I love looking at how things work. I told you I love my backyard, right? Um, I've told you this before. I love watching the birds. I, I love earthworms. Um, I love the squirrels, I love the plants, I love this little ecosystem. And I am literally blown away every time I just sit in my backyard at the amazing stuff God created and how he created to all work together. And even just the fact that everything reproduces, you know, like the, the bird of paradise creates another bird of paradise, the the sparrows produce more sparrows. The hummingbirds, more hummingbirds. Um, you know, people, people. Um, and how that all happens is simply amazing. I mean, most of us get that idea when you see a newborn baby. You go, oh my goodness. Right? This is just absolutely incredible. And it is incredible. It absolutely is incredible. You know, to be honest, I think it's very difficult to look at the world and be blasé. It's very difficult to the world and be unmoved by what is all around us. Although, you know, often, unfortunately, we get so busy in, in our lives, we just go from one place to the other, just trying to get stuff done, survive, that we forget how incredible this world really is. And it is incredible. I mean, the interplay of objects in space, you know, and, and objects that come from, from trillions of miles away and just zoom by the earth once every thousand years, a comet or something. It's like, where did it come from? 
It, it, it has its own balance. There, there's a, this amazing interplay between objects and space. The precision of the interaction of subatomic particles. And, and uh, you know, we had the Stanford, Stanford Linear Accelerator that, that you know, you, 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 you take little subatomic particles, you, you speed up to the speed of light, and you smash them together. And I love smashing things together because I'm a, I'm a guy. And, um, and then you watch and you see what happened. And, and you see, wow, we get to a window into how God created stuff. Or just the incredible intricacy and balance that is the human body. The way that if somebody cuts you, you, you heal. Now, sometimes you need a little medicine, but it's amazing how much our bodies heal themselves because God created us that way. The human body is absolutely amazing. You know, Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. All creation, all creation from the largest things in the sky to the smallest subatomic particles, particles and, and life in all its forms, they all declare God's glory. Every part of, uh, of creation shouts the greatness of God. The greatness of His wisdom and His intelligence, His creativity, His playfulness, and His power. If you look, you can see it. If you look, you can see it. Some of you might be wondering when I'm going to talk about Science, you know, science and faith, and how do they fit together? What's, what's going on there? And, and I, I would love to tell you a lot, but we don't have enough time on Sunday morning. So hopefully, when Matt comes with our new senior pastor, and I've got a little more time. I, I'm planning on, I've got a couple classes I want to teach, one of which is this universe that God created. Where do we see God's design and handiwork in so many different ways? And how does faith and science fit together? But that's for another time. So... But anyway, back, to, back to, to our message this morning. Psalm, uh, let me just get Psalm 8.3. I love this as well. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. You know what? Science has one task. It's to observe, discover, and then sort of categorize what we find about how God created the world. That, that's what science's task is. To observe, discover, and categorize this knowledge that we're gaining about how God created the world. Science has no truth in and of itself. Now, I love science, but science is merely a tool to help us understand the world we live in and then live more fruitful lives, right? But science can be taken for good or evil. With the same science, you can, you can create something useful to create energy or to get you from one place to another, or you can create a bomb that kills people, right? Science can be used in lots of different ways. Science gives us not, tells us nothing about value or purpose or meaning, but we better have a sense of value and purpose and meaning to use the science well, right? So science doesn't give us anything even approaching true north. God gives us the true north, and that's the reference from which we use every other tool in life, including science, including science. 
You know, in fact, what science shows us time and time again is that our world was carefully designed. In biology, in chemistry, in physics, there are so many examples of how our universe and our world are so fine-tuned that if any variable was just a little bit off, life wouldn't exist. The universe wouldn't exist. Right? The cosmological constant, if it was a, a billionth of 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 a, billionth of a percent off, the, the universe would not be here today. The earth is just the right distance from the sun for it to have its, uh, the right amount of heat, but not too much. Right? To have, we have enough water so, we, so that life can survive. We have an axis around which we spin so that no part of the earth gets too hot and kills off, of li- off life like many other planets. Everything is so carefully designed. If you look at science from an objective point of view, which most scientists say they are, but you would say, this world was designed by someone. In fact, let me tell you this, it, is, it takes more faith to believe that there is no God and it all happened by chance than it does to believe that there is a God who created it. And I'm not saying that flippantly, I'm literally saying that by the laws of logic and statistics, it takes more faith to believe it's by chance. Right? As a new evolutionary biologist, one of the things that, that, that I discovered is that, you know, there's just this natural, automatic thing. Everything had to come around by evolution. That's just, because if it's here, it had to have evolved. That's an assumption that, that scientists, many scientists make. The problem is the more science has learned about the history of the earth, the more improbable evolution becomes. Not more probable, but more improbable it becomes. And I'd like to, to tell you more about that, but we'll, we'll wait for a couple more months and then we'll have a class. But... But that's it's simply the, it's the logical, scientific truth. But if you're stuck in a place of it's all by chance, then you have no other option. But if you believe there's a God, suddenly, to be honest, science makes more sense when you believe in God. Now, I'm not saying that a scientist, when they go to an experiment, should enter the God factor because that, that's a... That, that's not a good way of doing science. Science has to be repeatable and understandable by everybody who sees it. But once you get the data from it, how you interpret that, how do you put that into a, the meaning, the larger meaning of, of life and the universe and the world, only God makes science make sense. And that's the truth. Well, so our, our second answer was God is great, awesome, amazing. And he shows us that in creation. But there's a third answer that is important for us this morning. That is God is good. God is good. Because, you know, if, if, if God's great but he's not good, then we're in trouble, right? I mean, so this is really important, that God is good. There are a lot of people with a lot of power in the world who are not good, and when they use their power, it is for evil. It is, for hurt, it is hurtful to other people. And you can see that all around the world today. Just pick up any newspaper or go on any news site on, online, on, on the web. But God is good, right? First, you created a good world. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, God saw everything, all that he had made, and it was very good. And that was evening and morning, the sixth day. Everything was good. Not just good as in, hey, good job, but it was made to be good, a reflection of God's goodness. But looking more at the nature of God and how he relates to his creation, we see in chapter 2 of Genesis, what does he do with, with these people he's created? It says, the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what I want to see us from these verses is that God took care of the people that he created. He created a garden for them. He created this perfect place for them to live. And, and it says one of the things he did is he created trees that were both pleasing to the eye and good for food, right? And both of those are important. Good for food. I mean, we all need food to survive. So he met their basic need of survival. But he didn't just say, I want you to survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to be blessed. So he made a garden that was beautiful pleasing to the eye. God doesn't stop with what's necessary. God is extravagant in his creativity and his love and his grace. And so he gave us all this beauty. And we still see the beauty around us, even in a broken world, don't we? So much beauty if we open our eyes and see it. And he also gave his presence. He was there in the garden with them. We learn later on he used to walk in the garden with them because God created them to have a relationship with him. He didn't just create the world and let it spin off on its own. God continues to be involved with us. He provides all the things we need. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, well, God wants to supply every bit of those, every single level. God wants to bless us with and gift us with. If we will receive it from him. And here's the thing, even when the first humans disobeyed God. They turned their back on him. They rejected him and said, we want to determine our own lives for ourselves. We want to decide what's right and wrong. Just like the world today. Humans haven't changed since the very beginning, right? We all want to decide what's right and wrong. You're not the boss of me, right? So um, even when we rejected him, he still cared for us. In Genesis 3, 21, after they had rejected God uh, and, and they were being taken out of the garden and put into the, the world as a whole, it says, and the Lord God made clothes out of animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And that's a simple verse, but what it says is that even in their rebellion, God continued to care for them. God continued to, to bless them. God continued to give them his mercy and his grace and his love and even his presence. And it's the same thing for you and for me. In this life where we are far, far from perfect, God continues to bless you and me in all parts of life. But often we don't even see it because we're not looking for it. Do you really know that God is good and he is with you? If you, if you open your eyes to see it and look for it, you will see it. In fact, uh, John, the apostle that was closest to Jesus, says this about God. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right? No darkness in him at all. He is 
pure light, pure goodness. We are not pure light, pure goodness. Although God gives us his light, right? we all have, I mean, let's be honest, we have places in our life we want to keep hidden, we want to keep in the dark. In fact, not only do we not want other people to see what's inside of us sometimes, often we don't even want to look at it ourselves. We try to hide it from ourselves. I don't want to think about my flaws. I don't want to think about my darkness. But we all have it. But God has no darkness in him at all. And he wants to give us that light so that we can live our lives not in darkness but in light, not following our own ways but in goodness and in blessing. Back to the Psalms, to use a, a, a different metaphor than, than light and opening our eyes and seeing it and following it, Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, you're given a new dish, and you, what do you do? You, you taste a little bit of it first, right? Is this any good? Mm, this is good. And then you devour it. But taste and see that the Lord is good. Give him a chance. Look for how he's at work. Open your life to his light, to his goodness, to his blessing. Because here's the truth. God created you so he could bless you. Every other religion on earth is about what we need to do to sacrifice for God. But the Christian faith, the true faith of the God who's revealed himself in creation is that he sacrificed for us. That's how good God is. He doesn't need anything from me. He gives me everything. Anything I give to God is simply a gift out of my gratitude and my joy to the one who created me and loves me and forgave me and blesses me every single day of my life. And that leads to, to probably the most uh, popular, well-known verse in the whole Bible, which is John 3.16. If you watch football today, you might see it between the uprights when they kick. You know, there's always somebody with a banner there. Well, here's what it says. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. See, that's who God is. God created this world not because he needed the universe, but because he wanted to give up himself and his love and his grace and his relationship. And that's what he wants from us. All he wants is for us to enjoy him. Have you ever thought about it that way? God created us to enjoy him, to enjoy his blessings. God loves to pour out his goodness upon the people of the earth and upon you. Among all the 8 billion people of the world, God knows you, loves you, wants to bless you, wants you to take refuge in him, wants you to find your true north in him. And in his truth, he wants our, 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 our path to be lighted by his perfect life. And all of us need to open our eyes more to that, don't we? I mean, 
you, you, might have known, you might have been in relationship with God through Jesus Christ for decades, but we still need to be reminded, open our eyes to see how God's at work. Open our eyes to receive his blessings. If you're here today or if you're watching online right now or maybe you're watching online you know, a week from now, um, if you've never given your life to God, if you've never accepted the relationship, an actual relationship with God that he created you for, you've never received the blessings he desires to give you, I encourage you to make that decision today. And it's not because your life is necessarily going horrible and you need some help in a lifeline, although that may be it. Your life might be going well, but you know still there's something missing. And that something is your true north. That something is the God who created you and loves you. If you would like to ask God into your life today and receive the blessing and the relationship and the goodness of God and taste it and experience it, I encourage you to just pray with me right now as we finish up. God in heaven, thank you for being so good, for creating everything that there is, including me. Lord, I want to have a true north. I don't want to follow magnetic north that keeps changing over and over and over again with every fad and whimsy and human idea. I want true north. I want to know who you made me to be. And Lord, God, if you made me to be in relationship with you, then I want that today. I want your blessing. I want your forgiveness. I want your grace. I want to know who I really am. So I I give my life to you right now. I don't fully understand what all that entails, but I take the step now. I begin this journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen.